What is going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me as always is my podcasting partner, Paul. I didn't prepare anything. Oh, dude, that was that was kind of screwed up, man. You like threw me way off by doing that. <laughs> is that why you started? Like, I started hearing a bunch of shuffling when I started, and I, is that what that was? You were like, "Oh God, what do I do?" Yeah, I, I blanked. <laughs> Heidi Ho, Ranger <laughs> Joe. I don't know why that popped in my head. I've there it is. I just did it I've for you. Damn like it. Twice. Maybe that's why. That's probably why, because it's like your go-to, apparently. Yeah. Um, but, well, <laughs> let's let's get off the fact that Paul just disappointed not only me, but everybody that listens to this. Our tens of fans. Our tens and tens and – can we say dozens? I feel like we can say dozens. Um, <laughs> at any rate, we are here with the first edition of Bright Side of the Suns for the fans, by the fans podcast after the season has started. See, that's what I did there. First one after the season started. Um, we are now two games into the season. Perhaps once this gets published, maybe it'll be three games, but, uh, we're recording here late, 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 late. On a Friday night, my bad because I had to go to a father-daughter dance today and do my uh, duty as a great dad that I am. Um, but the, congratulations, bravo! Thank you, thank you, Paul. That's very kind of you. So it's the small wins. Yeah, exactly. I and and you know I'm, I won't I won't admit that I was on my phone the whole time watching updates of the Suns Lakers game, but maybe I was. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but at any rate, we're sitting here. Right now, with the Suns at 0-2, uh, they opened the season on Wednesday against the Portland Trail Blazers, although I don't really remember that game. I, I've blocked it out of it my memory. It was a real poop sandwich. Poop, I'll leave it at that. For sure. I blocked it out of my memory. Hey, you know what, though? They were up 9-2. Then, then, yeah. then they got outscored by 58 points. 58? 55 points the rest of the game. Not a good showing. Yes. Um, no. And then tonight, let's talk about. Let's, so, you want to you want to share any thoughts on on game one there, Paul, or do you just want to? Should we just should we just pretend it didn't happen? That's what I do. Yeah, yeah, it's just pretend it didn't happen. Just, they they short circuited, trying to. They had a false start. They had a something. They definitely had a something. <laughs> um, something. But uh, we went into game two tonight uh, against the Lakers. Much better showing. Still didn't come away with the win, but showed up they were in it to the end in it till the end um you know had a lead through the first half let it slip away in that third quarter and then fought back in the fourth quarter a couple times got it close then they started falling back again got it back close again and in the end uh you know had tj warren at the free throw line with a second and a half left chance to tie the game missed the first obviously then he has to miss a second Missed second on purpose, got his own rebound, but uh, wasn't able to put it back in to put the game into overtime. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a fun game to watch. Um, I de- I flipped away a little bit when it started to get out of hand, but when I, fl- I kept uh, paying attention to it um, on my phone, and when I saw that they were starting to climb back in, I clicked back in and got to watch uh, Bledsoe kind of go off in the fourth quarter, which was nice to see. I was I was getting a little worried about him because he, he has had some very lackluster performances through preseason and obviously in the first game of the season. So I was getting a little worried that there was something going on there. But 
it was nice to see that he put together a, a solid game again. So hopefully that uh, is uh, something that's going to continue. Yes, thank you. There you go. You're welcome. It's, it's, it's late, bro. It's late. It's late. It's late. Um, let me ask you this. At what point did you think it was out of hand? Because they just lost by 48. So I, I feel like anything within 15 is still out of hand, right? I mean, just comparatively speaking. Well, when they were down, like, when they were down, what was it, like 12 with, like, three or four minutes left, and they just couldn't stop anything, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is... They're not going to get back into this, and so I just I clicked away. It was I wasn't gone for long, but I I was just like I don't know if I want to sit here and watch them let this lead get bigger or get bigger. Sure, sure. Um, uh, you know one one thing that came came out tonight was um, you know Lonzo Ball actually having a good showing. He he got shut down last night. Um, it was all over the news with, uh, what's his name? Who was Beverly? Beverly. Yeah. Just bodying him. (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of surprised, frankly, that one of the guys on the Suns didn't do something similar to him, whether it be, I mean, the, 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 the three guys that come to mind immediately would be Chris, uh, who I know wouldn't guard him necessarily, but Hey, he could still throw a little bit of his weight around. Uh, Booker, Booker, because obviously Booker is going to Booker, and uh, you know Josh <laughs> Jackson, he's got an edge to him. Uh, but but you know I, I I kind of wanted to see the Suns do something similar to what Beverly did last night, uh, if anything, because it, it it seemed to me like that threw it, Ball it, off. Yeah, and then that just if Ball's thrown off, that just disrupts the the Lakers' entire flow because he is their flow, <laughs> and so. Yeah, I mean that's really should be any team's um, mo when going at ball is get him out of his rhythm because it no but there's nobody else to kind of take over for him. But yeah, I mean he, yeah he did score 29 points. He was like one assist shy of a triple double. Mm-hmm. But I mean that was on 27 shots. Right, and you know well I mean he ended up shooting what 12. Let's see, I got it here 12 for 12 27. 27. Um, and I, I, he he really caught on in the fourth quarter because before the fourth quarter, his shooting percentage wasn't exactly uh, very favorable. You know, it wasn't one that you would expect a point guard to have. Um, but you know, he he came through tonight. But at the same time, the Suns clearly have not shown any propensity to play defense whatsoever. So we'll see what he ends up doing. Well, some one guy did go on. Um, our young dragon. Yes. He, uh, he definitely breathed some fire on that defensive end. In both in in both games, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Very true. He, he's you know we were talking about this before we started recording, but I, I'm I'm very encouraged by how he's looking on the defensive end, and 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 if anything, it's because you know putting aside the concept of having to switch and having to go over under screens and understanding you know defensive schemes and whatnot. Just at the very most basic level, he's doing a great job of using his athleticism to stay in front of the offensive player that he's guarding and, you know, using his length then to disrupt shots. And and that's exactly what you, you know, want to get out of a guy like that, especially, you know, considering how young he is. 
Um, and if that offensive game develops, then then fantastic. I mean, he was he he was one for two tonight from the field, which isn't a whole lot of uh, 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 sample size. But you know, uh, they were both three pointers, and he made one of them. Uh, he, he seven rebounds, seven two boards. Blocks. He's he's shown the steal on nineteen minutes. He's really solid defensive line, and and he had the best plus minus of the team. And I think you know that has you know some some representation of of his his solid defensive play. So if he can continue to do that, you know he's going to get those minutes that everyone was yearning for last year. And I was saying, as we all know, I was saying it's fine. Let him sit. Let him learn the system. Let him learn NBA speed. Let him get acclimated to being in a brand new country speaking a brand new language and playing a brand new brand of basketball brand new brand i used brand twice in two different ways in the same sentence i feel like that's impressive yes that's all you can put in a third brand and talk about elton the marketing elton brand El- and the sun. elton brand oh okay russell brand I feel like that's off topic, Paul. Um, it is late. We shouldn't do this so late. Um, no. <laughs> excuse me. So, okay. Uh, any other thoughts on tonight's game? Uh, and let's let's you know let's let's say any positive thoughts before we start delving into any negative thoughts you might have. Because I know you, Paul, and you like negative thoughts. <laughs> well. I actually, I really, I liked the like, kind of the honestly the overall game, at least of the starters. They, um, I mean, they're all very efficient from a scoring standpoint. The outside of Jackson, who's four for ten, um, that and then you're looking at Warren, Bledsoe, and Booker all scoring uh, mid twenties, which is pretty much it's kind of how the Suns are going to compete. Is those three guys? They're the scorers. So seeing them put up numbers. I mean, I know it's against the Lakers who aren't a stellar defensive team either, but it's nice to see them all putting up numbers like that. And Jackson and Chandler were both contributing from, from different levels, which is good to see. I'm not sure. I really like the Warren Jackson starting combo, but I mean, we can see how that shakes out, particularly with the way Bender's playing. I'd really be interested to see maybe Bender taking, um, one of those spots and playing along alongside Chandler in a starting lineup to be kind of allow that defensive anchor. I don't know which one he'd replace. Mm-hmm. Pro- I'd, I'd probably lean towards Warren because you they still they still really need some scoring on the bench, and it, split, Warren can still get the minutes. He can still he can play a Ginobili type role of you know basically you're playing starters minutes, but. You play a lot of it against bench units that you can just feast on. Yeah, and I'm 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 happy you brought up that starting lineup issue because, and I'll say issue, maybe that's an exaggeration because we're two games into the season, but I'm uh, I'm all in with you uh, as people who follow me on Twitter um, and engage with me on Twitter this week about this. No, I I, I don't like Jackson and Warren starting together. I just don't. Um, I think they both bring. A lot to the table, but that offensive ability that Warren already has, and I think that Jackson is going to develop. I think Jackson will eventually be a better offensive player than Warren. I do, um, and and that's saying a lot because I think very highly of Warren's offensive game. But I'm totally with you in that putting Warren in there as a sub, as a sixth man, 
and giving him those Ginobili type minutes and allowing him to, as you said, feast on second units of other teams uh, will be very advantageous to the Suns moving forward. And I think it's interesting now, I'll, I'll, I'll transition to this, that you bring up Bender as the one to perhaps slide into a starting spot because that begs the question, what happened and what is happening with Marquise Chris? Because he played very a very, very limited role in Game 1. Tonight only played 18 minutes. And this is a guy who started quite a bit last year. Right. Well, I mean, that a lot of that comes down to the fact that uh, Watson kind of puts himself in a box when he starts Jackson and Warren. Because then he ha- you're sitting with four guys, or essentially that you're now dealing with five guys to play two positions because your starters are going to play together a decent amount. And I mean, they all played at least 23. Jackson was the lowest at 23 minutes and Chandler was second at 24. And then, but one of those guys is taking like Jackson or Warren, they're taking a spot away from one of those four front court guys. So, you're having to split those remaining front court minutes that be, um, between Chris Bender, Len, and Chandler, and it's it's just really crowded down there. And Chris Chris might be one of those types of players that you know there are those players who just don't come off the bench well. They right. they need to kind of come right out right out of the warm up and go right into playing, or they lose it. And they just can't get into that. It was, it's part of the issue I think we, we saw with Brandon Knight last year is he never really come off the bench before. You don't really know how to you know, go from sitting and essentially getting cold to have to then be on. And like you're not in rhythm. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're cold. You're possibly even a little stiff. Your, your muscles aren't warmed up. And you just have to get in there and start scoring. And it's a different – it's a different mentality and it's something you have to adjust to. And Brandon Knight clearly didn't do that well last year. And maybe Chris is having issues with that this year. I mean, he still, still grabbed six rebounds was one for three, but again, it was only 18 minutes and it granted, I'm still trying to figure out Watson's rotations. I don't understand what's going on. Cause I mean, Bender was essentially the best thing that happened in that first game. He played very well played very well defensively and then Bender's like the eighth ninth guy off the bench mm-hmm. this game Chris came in first I mean I understand he's trying to give opportunities kind of see what happens here but aren't you supposed to reward players when they do stuff good right and I'm just not really understanding what's going on there and I'll be interested to see how it evolves as you know I'm still I'm still scratching my head at uh just Watson's methodology. Yeah, and and I've I've been a very outspoken Watson supporter, but I I I I'll have to say that you know going with the the starting lineup that he's decided to go with does kind of raise some concerns with me. I I, I don't get it either. Um, but like you said, we'll see we'll see how it evolves. Now I, I'm interested too in your thought process in regard to you preferring perhaps to slide Bender into starting role as opposed to Chris. 
And I mean, is well, that based? I was, just- I was just looking at it just more from the standpoint of you know you reward success okay. to an extent. Granted, I mean, t- t- in doing that, I'm saying take T.J. Warren, who scored 24 points tonight, and brought uh, brought in eight rebounds, and I say let's put him on the bench. Uh, but I, but at the same time. I mean, maybe it is better for Chris to start and Bender and Warren kind of come together, come in together as that bench unit and it works well together. I mean, actually, I kind of liked the lineup of Bender and Len. They kind of played off each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in limited minutes, but it kind of worked. And how weird would it be if like Len actually like comes on the season and stays with the Suns and he and Bender become the new front court of the future? That would be so weird since we all kind of wrote him off. Well, I mean, if if those two guys can turn into the two players that, you know, the Suns and the Suns fans expected them to be when they were drafted, I mean, that would be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And and in regard to Warren, I, I you know, I, I get the whole concept of rewarding players uh, for, for performing well, but at the same time... Uh, if if a guy like Warren is a better fit coming off the bench, then then so be it. I mean, you look at guys again going back to Ginobili, who spent a good portion of his career being a six man and being a great six man. Uh, it, it makes sense if it's best for the team, and they're still going to get the minutes, so you're still being rewarded for playing well. It's just a matter of getting the right matchup from the get go, as opposed to having to. Uh, deal with uh, you know like you put it a a crowded uh, front court uh, big position because you're putting two guys that are are traditionally more you know small forwards uh, into the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean it's just something it's something that I've never really understood about the NBA in general in how it's that's not the the idea of starting is just like so important to players right that. And like the coaches just go along with it, even though it may not be the best thing for the team. Right. You know, you know, just take all your best players and put them all out at once and then take a bunch of inferior players and put them out later. And like, why not mix it up and create balance so you have a consistent level of excellence on the field or on the court? So, I mean, like, the Spurs, like I, I feel like Ginobili was kind of the template for this in that he clearly could have been the starting shooting guard on on those Spurs teams, but he basically his entire career was their sixth man, and he thrived in that role and he accepted it and and just kind of roll with it. And another good example of it was when Harden was on the was on the Thunder. Mm-hmm. He could have easily been the been the been the starter there, but they had him in that set, that off the bench role where he split because he was also a ball handler. Handler he split time with uh, with Westbrook and Durant because you know there really there is only one ball, so you you get those ball handlers, those elite ball handlers on the court all at the same or spread out through the whole whole game. It's kind of like what D'Antoni said about the idea of having Chris Paul and James Harden on playing on the same team. He's like, you're going to have 48 minutes of elite point guard play because they're only going to – the way he's, he plans on spreading, spreading out their minutes is they're going to play together for X amount of time 
but they're both one or the other is going to be on the court at any given time. So you basically have a all-star point guard on the court for the entire game. Right. And, and I, another guy that comes to mind for me, uh, when, when talking about incredibly efficient, particularly offensive players off the bench is Jamal Crawford too. He, he kind of filled that role over his career. Um, okay. So let's, let's move on. I've got one other thing that, well, I've got tons of things I'd like to talk about, but, uh, the, the next thing on the forefront of my mind would be Devin Booker and how he's looked through this first two games, which I think is a continuation of how he's starting to look towards the end of the year last year in terms of his aggressiveness and his ability to be more of a playmaker than just a, you know, spot up shooter, volume score, that type of thing. Because we look at tonight, 25 on 9 of 19 shooting, 4 from 8 from deep, 11 rebounds, 8 assists is the big thing yeah, for me. Yeah, was, he was definitely close to that, that triple-double. I hit, he, he fell off on the assists in the second half because he had 7 at halftime. Mm-hmm. So I was actually thinking he might have a I, – I was honestly thinking that he was, if he was going to get the double-double, it was going to be the points and assists. But I that's this is what I was – I'm – was hoping for Booker is be efficient. I mean, he shot nine for 19. That's this just a shade under 50%. And for a guy who's shooting long, a lot of threes and long jump shots, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a good shooting percentage. I'd, I'd have to look up what his uh, true shooting percentage is, but it, I think it'd be pretty solid there. And he's distributing and grabbing rebounds. And I'd also, I, I think we need a little bigger sample size, but I'd like to start seeing what he's if there's any if we're seeing any improvement on the defensive end because I know everybody talks talks about how he's an atrocious defender, mm-hmm. but if he starts to improve there, you know that's it's hitting up some of those weaknesses. Stay that awake, stay just, awake, Paul. Stay awake. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying <laughs> because I mean he's clearly going to be he's a scorer. That's that's known, but it's nice to see that he's starting to bring in those other aspects of his game and making himself more than one dimensional. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he may not be a great defender, but if he can even become slightly passable, as long as he's bringing that other offensive component with the uh, distribution and whatnot, I think he he steps to that next level level of. Excellence when you have a multifaceted game. I mean, bringing it back to James Harden is he's a great scorer, but he's and he's not a great defender at all. (laughs) (laughs) But which is why he's perfect on a D'Antoni led team. Yes, yes. But he's also he's got instead of being a great scorer and a good defender, he's a great scorer and also a good distributor, a great distributor. So he, that's that thing about bringing that secondary component that I think Booker's actually going to start to show this season, which will be nice. Yeah, and, and I'm with you there. I mean, I love seeing Booker get aggressive. I love seeing him being able to take the ball to the hoop. Um, you know, he's he's obviously a very, very, very capable shooter, and that's probably an understatement. And he has, you know, he's 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 got a post-up game for a, for a shooting guard. Um, but you know, in terms of his overall development as a player, as an offensive weapon, if he can continue to 
make his defenders need to respect his ability to take the ball to the hoop and otherwise distribute and play make that's only going to open up his ability to score from the outside more i mean he's you know you, you look at you look at how the national media seems to see booker and that is again as a volume score that is going to take a ton of shots and isn't going to do much else which i don't get that i don't get why that maybe it's because national media and they don't pay enough attention but i i don't see that there i mean to me it's almost like they're like he's basically jj reddick but a little better and no he's not and he's showing that his development is turning him into an overall offensive player, which is what he needs to do to take that next step to superstardom and maybe start pushing his way into some of the all-star conversations in this loaded backcourt situation going on in the West. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of the things that's been annoying me about the national media of just how he continues to show up in these with these statistical, like, milestones – that only elite players achieve yet it like not everybody. Cause there are, there are this, there are the Devin Booker stands out there, but there are so many members of the media who are just trying to knock him down and be like, he's an anomaly. He's an anomaly. He's an anomaly. He's not really that good, even though, He's do he's doing things only Kevin Durant and LeBron James have done. Or Kevin Durant <laughs> and LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. And it's like or Kobe Bryant or whatever. It's just like he's doing these things and he is an elite company. At a certain point, he's elite. Yeah. And I think he's gonna get there. I think this he's he's absolutely going to end up being a superstar. That was me knocking on wood and hoping I'm not jinxing it, but I love where he's going. And, and you know, notwithstanding an 0-2 start, a absolutely disgusting first game of the season, and then losing to the hated Lakers, I'm, I'm still, as a Suns fan, in a position where I'm encouraged about what I'm seeing with this team, especially when you look at, you know, again, guys like Booker, guys like Bender, um, and I'll even say Len, even though tonight he didn't do a whole lot, but you know he showed his his some he prowess during the preseason. Um, he didn't do a whole lot, but he also didn't. He played within himself, which is what was nice to see. He wasn't taking fourteen foot jumpers. He was playing defense. He was playing under the basket. He was trying. I mean, he still is grabs the ball too low and brings when he's trying to bring it up under the basket and gives defenses time to block his shots and whatnot. But there he show he's playing within his skill set in the NBA, which rather than trying to expand his skill set. Which he if he takes that and then learns to refine he's figured out what he can do and now he if he can refine it, he can become a Tyson Chandler type of player where I mean Tyson Chandler, I remember years ago, back when he was on the Baby Bulls with uh, Curry and whatnot, you're like, are these guys going to turn into anything? And then... Ed Curry. And now, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah I, know. I know. And now you're looking at 17 years later, Tyson Chandler's a respected former defensive player of the year. I mean... I didn't expect that out of him. And he clearly, it took him a while to get to that point. I mean, it wasn't, 
he didn't blossom immediately. So maybe that's what Len becomes. Maybe. But I, and, and I will say, I will go on the record and say I'm certainly not hopping on the Alex Len bandwagon yet. You know, I did that at the beginning part of last year um, when he again had a solid preseason and then, you know, did Alex Len things. Uh, but I'm hopeful. You know, I, I, I just I'm not going to write him off. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I want the Suns to you know keep him around just yet. Right. I, I'm not hopping on the bandwagon either. I'm just saying that through two games, I haven't seen him do the things that frustrated me immensely last season. He hasn't made He's you doing... yell at your TV yet. Is what you're saying? Right. I can appreciate that. Right. And so if he takes those, takes that, and then just kind of like I said, refines it and builds on what he is actually good at we might be able to turn him into a competent player sure sure um and one one last thought and i bring this up because you mentioned earlier that uh, bender was the you know the only bright spot of game one of this year i feel like maybe uh mike james might disagree with you this is true he was the the player of the game which was a very sad stat to see. Sure. <laughs> when your third string point guard is the player of the game <laughs> and he only scored 12 points. Yeah, and and you know, I I love Mike James. Um, you know, when we were in Vegas for uh Summer League, we were at that game that he just went off on. I mean, it's like the guy couldn't miss. Uh he 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 did something similar game 1 and he had another great, you know, solid game for, you know, a guy coming off the bench as a backup point guard tonight with Ulis not playing. Um and I think, you know, between him and Ulis uh, as the two backup, you know, two backup point guards, I guess technically they're two backup point guards. Um they bring different things to the court. And depending on the situation, I think it's great having two guys like that uh sitting there behind Eric Bledsoe. And uh, I'll say, speaking of Eric Bledsoe, are you? How do you feel? You good now? You good? I know you were worried about him after that preseason and after Game One. I'm good. You're good, I'm good for the moment. Yeah, I. I, I, I mean, we we, we got to keep championing him, so maybe we can get his attention and he'll unblock you. Maybe he will unblock me. Oh, and here, oh, good segue into our newest segment. Maybe our only segment that we have on the show. Which is, has Eric Bledsoe unblocked Justin on Twitter yet? The answer for all those waiting with bated breath is no. And I appreciate the effort of some of my uh, Twitter brethren trying to get him to unblock me, but he has not quite yet done it. Maybe one of these days at a gymnastics meet, since his daughter and my daughter compete at the same meets, maybe I'll just go ask him at some point. But I have still not been unblocked by Eric Bledsoe, and I will share... Uh, they, based on based on our, uh, I won't say a request, but an inquiry from our boy Boyd out there in Australia, I will share why I believe I'm blocked by Eric Blizzo on Twitter. It all comes down to what really is just a miscommunication, perhaps a misinterpretation of a tweet that I, I, I put out there responding to something he tweeted out last year. When he got shut down by the Suns toward the end of the season, he... He put out a tweet to the effect of, you know, showing that he was a little frustrated, but he got it, something like that. And and everyone responding to it just kind of went off and was like, this is stupid. You shouldn't be shut down, blah, blah, blah. And me, being the rational human being that I am, thinking, hey, the Suns are, well, we're tanking. We're tanking. That's the bottom line. 
Eric Bledsoe has had some history of, you know, injury issues. His sons, for what it's worth, said that he was having some knee discomfort. Uh, he's had his issues health-wise have been related to his knees. And I said, what's the, what's the big deal? Why not shut him down? And I basically said that everybody that was responding to his tweet was being stupid. Um, so I'm assuming that's where the block ultimately came from. And again, I wasn't saying Seeing as you did see that tweet, apparently so. Um, and I, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to knock on him. I wasn't trying to knock on his position about being shut down. I certainly wasn't knocking on him as a player because as everybody knows, I am possibly the like biggest Eric Bledsoe card holder member out there. Um, but that I believe is why I was blocked by Eric Bledsoe on Twitter. And to the extent that anybody's willing and interested in shooting Eric Bledsoe with tweets saying, Hey, unblock. So says Jay, he's a good dude and he loves you by all means, please do it. And maybe we collectively as a good group can get me back in the good graces of Mr. Eric Bledsoe. I hope I hope awkward pause. <laughs> You're welcome. As do I. So, so one thing I just wanted to say, say is it. just my last my last thought on the last two games is this Lakers game is what I'm hoping for more of this season. I mean, I don't expect them to win. I just want to see them try to win. Mm-hmm. I want to see them compete. I want to see them try to be be in it. Most nights, I mean, I know they're probably not going to be in it against the Golden State Warriors, but maybe they will because those are the time. That's where you learn. That's where you learn how to get over that hump is you keep getting close. Then at some point you break through. But the the fear is just at a certain point they just resign themselves to not being able to break through and then stop trying. So I'm hoping to see those improvements or that competitiveness Coupled with improvements across the board, whether it's watching Bender develop on the defensive end and hopefully start to become more comfortable on the offensive end, watching Jackson just blossom as he uh, figures out what it's like to be a rookie in the NBA, Booker round out his game more and become more efficient now that he has more options, or, or he's not the focal point of the scoring, of defenses per se, and has seen Chris sell down, you know, everybody's got something they can work on. I just want to, I'm hoping to watch and see those area, those areas of improvement be worked on during the season and see that improvement occur. And I think that is very well said, very well stated. And the only thing I will add to that is, as I've been saying for months and months and months, Josh Jackson's shot is not broken. It's just fine. He's shooting 50% from outside this year, and he's going to continue, well, not to shoot 50%, but he's going to be an effective inside and outside player, and he's going to be, listen to this, Paul, this is important, he is going to be the best player out of this draft over the tenure of those players' careers. I will say that. And as long as you have and nothing further to add, no rebuttal to that comment. You don't want to call me crazy. Nope. That pause was your chance. Thank you. 
I think we can wrap up this episode of Bright Side of the Suns by the fans. Excuse me. For the fans, by the fans podcast. Uh, A reminder to everybody, Bright Side Night, hit it up. Throw some money in there. Maybe throw enough money in there to come to the game. I don't have the date in front of me right now, so that's poor <laughs> preparation by me. It's it's coming up. It's soon. But I feel like the it's, plug was still there, so that was sufficient. I want to say it's like the 19th? Yeah, that sounds right to me. It's in, like, it's that, in, it's it's in Phoenix. Weekend. I know that much. It's in Phoenix. And it's against the Bulls. The Bulls. It's the Bulls. The Bulls. They might actually win that one. Because I, And the only reason I know that is because I want to go very badly because I want to see Lori Markkinen play. Along with, you know, all the sons, of course. So, uh, on that note, we will wrap we up. We won't be seeing Bobby Portis. We will. We will. <laughs> See, yeah, that will probably be more, less than eight games in, right? You know, uh, you know, the public service announcement, don't punch your teammate in the face. Yeah. Particularly don't but punch yeah. your teammate in the face and break his orbital bone or whatever it was. But yeah, one, one thing I do want to say, though, is we really want you uh, – want and need your support for this it's a great cause it's a great event that dave puts on it was really fun to go last year um justin i don't know if you saw but uh we're not getting mcdonough this year what for the, we're getting james jones oh that's oh i love that so get it if you get if you pay get the 10 tickets you get your tickets for yourself you get a private um interview sesh with uh james jones so you get to hear all about how what he's bringing to the Suns and what he sees developing with the Suns over these next couple of years. And, and if he can bring LeBron to the Suns, just kidding. I, that's not going to happen. And I don't, I frankly don't care because I hate LeBron, but that's, it's a different conversation for a different podcast. But the, the one thing I did want to point out is this is a much earlier game this season than last year. So we don't have as long to get the, to get the amount of tickets that we want to bring the kids to the game. So don't sit on your asses. If you want to help out and support the cause, go buy those tickets for the kids so they can come to the game. And hopefully you have the free cash to get enough that you guys can make it to the game too because Justin and I hopefully will be there and we want to hang out with you guys and spend some time with uh, is, some is there a, other sons. Is fans. there a question if you're going to go? Because I'm in, dude. I'm in. I I have to check my work schedule. Ooh. I'm hoping I'm not going to be out of town, but I definitely want to be there. Just cancel it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> As an extra incentive, I will I will commit to trying to get James Jones to give me a hug at the at, at that meet and greet. So, for what that's worth, I'll throw that out there. And on that note, I believe we can finally wrap up our first episode of this podcast after the season started. We will be back next week, Paul. You're not going on like some vacation again next week, right? So, eh, no. No. All right. I'll be around. I don't go anywhere because traveling is a pain in the ass. So we'll be back next weekend uh, with another episode of Bright Side of the Suns for the fans by the fans podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And depending on when you're listening, have a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening.